Beehive Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Bees. Hey everyone and welcome. Here we are, episode four. Trucking right along. Uh, appreciate all the feedback again that I'm still getting. think it's uh, making this all go a little bit smoother for me. It seems to be getting easier each week. I actually had my first uh, on-duty experience with a listener the other day. As I'm on patrol, I stop at a red light. Glance over, I see none other than the one and only Bobby Atkins, a.k.a. Bobby Napkins. Probably my favorite nickname for a person of all time. Funny kid. But anyways, he rolls down the window and yells out that he'd been listening to me. Thought that was really cool. So thank you, Bobby. You kind of made my day. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate everybody else, you know, who's been sending feedback and everything. So let's get going here. We got a national championship to talk about. Uh, men's college basketball. Baylor mops the floor with Gonzaga, eighty-six seventy-eight. I believe the closest they got after like the five-minute mark of the game when it was sixteen to four. I'm pretty sure the closest that they brought it back was ten points at halftime, and then it was just Baylor shooting lights out. So, a few things to touch on with that. I, I think it seemed to me like people I've talked to are looking at this game one of two ways. One. Gonzaga kind of let it all out in the Final Four matchup against UCLA. One of the craziest finishes, if not the craziest finish to a basketball game that I've ever watched live. Uh, the everybody knows the you know UCLA gets the offensive board, puts it back, ties it, three point three seconds. Jalen Suggs, you know, had other plans and marches down just past half court, drains a three. So. The other way a lot of people were looking at it, I think, was that Gonzaga hadn't really been challenged. You know, the conference they play in, they're out of conference matchups. They did have a couple tough games, uh, West Virginia. and I, There was a few few more other than that. But that was a, a question a lot of people posed. Is has, had Gonzaga been challenged? They do have a great team. There's no denying that. Jalen Suggs, obviously great. Drew Timmy, Kispert, like they're all real good players. So uh, one of the things that drew my attention to the game as I watched it was Mark Vital uh, could not be stopped rebounding in the game with 11, but a lot of those were offensive boards. He was giving or uh, giving Baylor a lot of second chance shots for points. And clearly it just, you know, it was a big factor in that game. Obviously holding drew Timmy to 12, you know, he was averaging over 20 for the whole tournament and holding him to 12 really took, you know, taking him out of the game plan was crucial and, they did a nice job of that. Baylor's Butler named uh, the most outstanding player into the game with 22 points, three rebounds, seven assists in the championship. So the you know the the story storybook closed on Gonzaga for the undefeated to to become the undefeated national champions. So it still leaves the last time that that happened was Indiana, uh, the, the Hoosiers in 1975-76 season. So it's been a long time made it the entire way and, and, you know, to lose that game just had to be heartbreaking, but clearly that program's on a major upswing. They're no longer an an underdog story. They're, you know, they're going to be back. They got, I'm sure clearly all of this helps with the recruiting process and stuff like that. So, but Baylor just what a night they had. So a little confession I want to make in, in regards to all of this, this was probably the first it actually, I'm certain it was. it was. This is the first NCAA 64 tournament that I really like. Could not get enough of. I was watching games every day. 
you know, in the past, it's always been fill out a bracket and kind of just wait and see what happens. But uh, you attribute, I, I attribute sports betting a little bit to that because I did wager on quite a few games, ended up doing pretty well for the, for the whole tournament. You know, I had a lot of side texts going with some guys who bet a lot of college basketball and discussions. Uh, Joe Pellegrino and I had, you know, this ongoing joke about the Syracuse money line, which was pretty profitable as far as the tournament went. But uh, like I'm saying, it was just it something drew me in this year a little bit more. And I kind of regret not having been this way about this tournament before because it's it's a blast to watch. It's great competition. Really, really good. You know, you see some teams playing who some would say, you know, would I mean, everybody's bracket is different, but you get these. 11, 12 seed teams that just storm up UCLA. Great example to just get hot, right? Get hot at the right time. And, you know, they made it all the way to the final four as a, I believe it, it could have been 11. It might've been a 12, but I think it was 11. But I, I, another reason I think that's this way that I kind of, I, I'd never really paid attention to basketball since childhood, childhood. I loved the NBA. Uh, I do believe that that, league has since declined big time. And I'm actually going to get into that a little bit more in my hive segment. And I, that's probably why, but another thing is in, in the last like five, six years, I started playing a lot more pickup basketball, uh, play at a couple churches in town a few nights a week, play at the YMCA, just groups of guys, no leagues. It's just pick up split teams and play good cardio. But I, I also think that that has something to do with it. It's really drawn me into actually watching the sport more as I've been playing it more. So not that any of the watching it is making me better because I'm still pretty bad, but exercise, that's what I, you know, that's what it's all about. So that is just something I wanted to add in there. Uh, it's kind of a regret of mine, I think, that I haven't paid attention to more of these tournaments. I'm definitely like, I'm, you know, I'm excited for, next year's college basketball season to start already. So I'm moving on. We're going to talk about the masters, which just finished up this weekend, this past weekend, uh, taking home the green jacket, Hideki Matsu, Matsuyama, who was the first player from Japan to win the green jacket with a one stroke victory over Will Zalatoris. So this is pretty cool. Uh, we had previously talked about odds, world series odds, um, I think we talked about uh, uh, Super Bowl odds for the next coming season. So some of the odds for this, the, the the guy who ends up winning it, Matsuyama, was a plus 4,600. So as I explained, if you wagered $100, you would win 4,600. These are the opening odds. So this is prior to the odds change as the weekend goes. You know, clearly going into Sunday, Matsuyama was a minus 120. So you're betting $120 to win 100. Whereas if you bet on them prior to the the Masters, 100 wins you 4,600. So clearly he's a long shot at plus 4,600. If you take a look at who was the favorites prior to the the Masters, Dustin Johnson was at plus 950, Bryson DeChambeau at plus 1,100, Jordan Spath, Justin Thomas were tied with a plus 1,150. So... The long shot takes it plus forty six hundred. I did. I was able to find somebody uh, just actually scrolling Facebook. A buddy of mine in Erie 
Shane Klein, who threw a $20 bet on Matsuyama prior to, netted him an $820 return. It was pretty cool to see, you know, somebody taking a, a chance on a long shot. Um, again, most of you, some of you may know Shane, some of you may not, but he is the brother of Ryan Klein, who is the host of the Me, Myself, and Rye podcast, which I talked about in a prior episode. So speaking of long shots, going into who took second in the uh, Masters, who followed up behind Matsuyama, Will Zalatoris, 24-year-old from Wake Forest, um, who was at plus nine nine thousand five hundred, so ninety five hundred hundred dollars bet on Will Zalatoris had he won, would have netted you nine over nine grand. So two long shots finishing in the top two. Obviously, it was a rough weekend. Dustin Johnson didn't even make the cut um, heading into the weekend. So there was uh, a lot of surprises. If you didn't get a chance to look at some of the internet activity regarding Will Zalatoris, the Happy Gilmore memes, uh, he there's a lot of people saying that there's a comparison between the way he looks and Gilmore's caddy, the caddy who, uh, when he picks up his golf bag, Happy throws him to the ground because he has, thinks he's stealing his clubs. Check it out. They look alike. It's pretty fucking funny. And uh, even Sandler chimed in on Twitter and said... Uh, that I'll have fun today. Uh, Mr. Gilmore is watching and is proud of you. This is just pretty funny stuff, the, the way that that's all gone. So a little bit more about Matsuyama, the Masters winner. He's 29 years old. He's a five-time PGA Tour winner and an eight-time Japan Golf Tour winner. So great outing for him. I mean, he he really blazed into Sunday. Like I said, his, his uh, odds went all the way down to minus 120, which is, a, you know, that's a heavy favorite when it comes to tournaments like this. You know, he had a four or five stroke lead going into Sunday. So he finished the job and it was uh, a good tournament to watch. I got to catch some of it, not a lot of it, but so we had the national championship. We had the masters. It's been a good couple weeks in sports. Uh, baseball's underway, so I'm going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Let's take a look back at this week in sports history. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of This Week in Sports History. I'm going to roll out another 10 facts for you, so let's get started. Number one. Going all the way back to 1877, the catcher's mask is used for the first time in a baseball game. 
So I'm going to add another fact to this because it's relevant to the uh, equipment deal here. And it actually happened within the same week, just several years later. In 1943, the NFL makes helmets mandatory. So clearly, baseball was on to player safety a little bit sooner. Of course, catchers were probably taking a little bit of a thumping behind the plate prior to masks. Um, But even looking at the NFL aspect, CTE's bad now. Of course, they didn't know what it was back in 1943. But I'm sure, you know, those those guys were in some serious trouble back then if you kind of look at it from today's perspective. Number two. 1941. In his fourth title defense in nine weeks, I'm going to repeat that, his fourth title defense in nine weeks, Joe Lewis retains the heavyweight boxing crown by defeating Tony Musto in a ninth-round TKO. Four fights in nine weeks is something we will never see happen again. That's not anywhere in the realm of being common anymore. You can look at UFC boxing, what have you, two, maybe three fights a year, I would say, give or take. And on top of that, you you know, you can even look back at the old original UFC fights that were actually one night tournaments uh, where these guys were fighting two, three, four times in a night. Something we'll never see again. Joe Lewis clearly didn't give a shit. He was just whooping people's asses every other week. Uh, Good on him. But yeah, that's something that is definitely history because we we won't it won't happen anymore. Number three, 1959, the 13th NBA championship, the Celtics sweep the Minnesota Lakers in four games in their first of eight straight titles. So eight straight titles, another thing we probably will never see again. I added a bonus fact in here, similar to the uh, to number one. The Minnesota Lakers started off as the Detroit Gems for one year before moving to Minnesota, where they became the Lakers, and now you know them as the L.A. Lakers, obviously. But they moved to Minnesota, renamed the team the Lakers. Why? Minnesota is the land of 10,000 lakes. Number four. 1963. Pete Rose triples for his first major league hit. So I'm going to have a little discussion on this one because I have some opinions about Pete Rose I'd like to share. I know it's always been a pretty... Hot topic as to whether or not he should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm going to share with you my opinion, and I'm going to make fun of somebody else's opinion. I believe he should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, He never bet on his team, or I'm sorry, he never bet against his team, and there's no evidence showing that he ever did bet against his team. However, in the deep, dark internet, you can find articles about just about anything or opinion pieces, and I stumbled upon a article on thegruelingtruth.com. Ironically, that's the name of the site. When Mike Goodpaster writes this article, that's pure speculation. So there's no grueling truth about it. It's just his speculation on a pattern he saw four games that Pete Rose didn't bet in 1987. And he felt that was him betting against the Reds because of what he did during these games. So I'm going to get into this a little bit. Mike Goodpaster just a Pete Rose hater. The article starts off. Many of you have read my articles about why Pete Rose shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. He even goes on to call the statue outside of Cincinnati's field or stadium. He calls that a disgrace that they have a, a statue of him. 
my good pacer is a moron. And I'm going to tell you why. Because what he breaks down here is in four games that he that, that it is proven Pete Rose did not bet on these four games. These games are in the 90s, 1987 season. In a two-month span, he looks at all these games. So the four he talks about is June 20th, 87, Braves 8, Reds 6, July 16th, Mets 9, Reds 0, July 26th, Expos 6, Reds 0, and August 1st, Giants 6, Reds 0. So four games we know for sure Pete Rose did not bet on the Reds. And it's broken down by old good paster who comes up with this theory of this pattern that he finds. The pattern being that Bill Gullickson, starting pitcher, started these four games. When Gullickson was having a bad outing, Pete Rose would bring Bill Shear out of the bullpen to finish up the game. Bill Shear was their worst reliever, had an ERA over 12 at the time this was happening. And what Good Paster is claiming is that Rose was setting his rotation up perfectly for his next bet because he would have all his best bullpen pitchers going ready for the next next game or two. What Good Paster conveniently leaves out of the article is that in between June 20th and August 1st, there's five other starts by Gullickson that Pete Rose did bet on. And in those three starts, Gullickson was 3-0 with two no decisions. Now, if your starting pitcher's getting wrecked, you're not going to, and you're down a considerable amount of runs, say midway through the game or mid-late, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh inning. You're down six. You're not going to bring in your best reliever. You're already losing. And the chances of you coming back, you nobody concedes and nobody comes out and says they concede in baseball. Do teams concede? Sure. How many times have we seen teams down a shitload of runs in the last inning or two and they bring in a position player to pitch to save their bullpen guys? It happens. That's because they know it's probably not likely that they're coming back to win this game. So is it? A, are they conceding? They're not going to stop trying to hit. But they know that the likelihood of them plating six or seven runs in an inning isn't that good. Not in the pros. It happens, but it's not like a guarantee. It's not like a a roll of the die that you just, yeah, I think we can do it. You're probably not going to. And these coaches know that. They know more about their team and the sport of baseball than this dickhead good pacer ever will. So my point is, in the four games, Gullickson's getting shelled. Obviously, you see... The starts that were consecutive, because June, June, the June game, June twentieth to the July first July game, July sixteenth, it's a huge gap, and he bet on Gullickson during that time. But when Gullickson started regressing or just getting cold, he quit betting on him. He didn't bet against him. He just said, "You're kind of pitching like shit. I'm not going to put my money on this game." So again, it's not betting against them, regardless of what Good Paster says, because he doesn't bet and then he brings in their worst reliever so he's not even trying to win it's not that he's not trying to win he just knows that the value of these good bullpen pitchers will be better used in a game that they're winning late where they're trying to hold off a team or a game where they're down one or two and they're trying to climb back into the game so that guy's a moron i 
Don't even read the article. He doesn't deserve any more traffic on his bullshit website. So, Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. That's where I'm at. And we're going to continue on. Number five. 1969. The first Major League Baseball game featuring a Canadian team as the Montreal Expos beat the New York Mets 11-10. to I'm going to give you a third bonus fact today. Because I spoil all of you. Eight years later, in the same week, the Toronto Blue Jays made their debut. So at one time, there was two Canadian teams. I'm sure everybody pretty much knows that. But it's sports history. We're throwing it all out there. Obviously, Montreal doesn't exist anymore. Moved on to Washington, where they are now the Nationals. Number six. 1974. This one I thought was too hilarious to not put in this top ten. Ray Kroc, who made a fortune as a majority stakeholder of McDonald's in 1974, we're talking here. San Diego Padres, he purchases them against his wife's advice for $12 million. So, fellas, keep in mind, whether you're rich, middle class, whatever, your wife's still going to be pissed off at stuff that you buy. So just keep that in mind when you want to buy that next driver or, you know, uh, Two arcade games for your basement, which I may have heard a few choice words about, but I got them. So anyways, Ray Kroc buys the Padres. At this point, they had spent the last five seasons in the basement of their division. Home opener. They're they're struggling. Still just not playing good baseball. Which is why a lot of people thought Croc was wasting his money. But later on, they credit Croc for saving the team. Because if he hadn't purchased them, they may have moved out of San Diego that year. So, home openers going on. 41,000 fans. Padres playing like shit. Padres base runner at first gets doubled off on a pop fly that was foul. Because he forgot how many outs there were. Ray Kroc decides to go to the public address booth, grabs the mic and over the speaker in front of the entire 41,000 fans and the players, decides to say, ladies and gentlemen, I suffer with you. This is the most stupid baseball I've ever seen. At this time, a streaker runs on the field. He yells, arrest that man. The crowd's cheering for Kroc. They're cheering for the streaker. The players are super embarrassed. After the game, Willie McCovey, who was the player spokesperson for the Padres, said that nobody likes to be called stupid, and they were all very hurt by the new owner's actions. Kroc issued an apology. A decade later, the Padres won their first division title. Sadly, Kroc wasn't around to see it as he had passed away just a short time before. Number 7. 1974. Hammer and Hank Aaron hits... Number 715 off of Dodgers pitcher Al Downing, breaking Babe Ruth's record. Hammer and Hank ended his career with 755, a record that was broken by Bonds in the questionable steroid era. Number 8. 1984. India beats Pakistan by 54 runs to win the first Asia Cricket Cup. I don't know shit about cricket but if you lose by 54 runs that's a blowout right I don't I I would think it's a blowout seems like it would be 54 is a large number 
It, how the fuck did Pakistan make the finals of the Asia Cricket Cup? Seems like there had to have been somebody who could play India a little bit closer than that. Number nine. 1989, the ever-so-humble Ricky Henderson steals base number 800. Ended his career with 1406, which is another record I truly believe we will never see broken. Second on the all-time list is Lou Brock with 938, and for a little perspective, Billy Hamilton is the active stolen base leader with 306, and he's played nine seasons. So if he can tough it out for another 20 seasons or so, he may be able to catch... Ricky, I did not check the math on that, so you also, please, just don't. Number 10. 2004. I figured since the Masters was this past weekend, we'd throw a fact in there. The 68th Masters was in 2004, and Phil Mickelson wins his first major with a birdie on the final hole to finish one stroke over Ernie Els. So that'll do it. There's your 10 with some bonus facts. You're welcome. Going to take a short break. Be right back. The worst stories in sports, according to Joe. Alright everybody, welcome back. We have reached the Things That Sting segment of this episode 4. A few things to talk about. Clearly, I think I've mentioned this in just about every episode. I'm not going to get too much into it in this one. Deshaun Watson, that story just keeps getting weirder and weirder. There's details... Uh, more details coming into the lawsuits uh, that are that are coming out to the public. I mean, anus massages and, and just it's getting bad. So I'm not going to get into it on this one. We're going to wait and give that one some more time to develop and go from there. Uh, DJ, my guest from last episode, if you're listening, stay away from him. He is an evil man and I fear for your safety. So we're going to start off with John Brandon. I talked about him in a prior episode. Uh, there was no information at the time about what was going on, but he had been suspended. Pending an investigation into why six players entered the transfer portal, four of which were freshmen from the 2020 recruiting class. 
He has now been relieved of his duties from the Cincinnati Bearcats as the uh, men's head basketball coach. Athletic director John Cunningham announced this move in a letter to program supporters. As the letter stated, it's a personnel matter and they couldn't provide further detail. Brandon took to Twitter where he released a statement stating that he claims that he's disappointed in the university's decision and that the decision was made long before the university commenced its investigation. Uh, there's speculation. I believe it was his lawyer who stated it. They think it's a move to get a bigger coach in there. Uh, but Brandon states that the truth will be revealed. Uh, so we're going to, again, just monitor this and and see what's going on with it. He he said in his statement he looks forward to bringing the true facts to light. So uh, with that, two coaches that I found interesting. Well, one, actually, the other one I don't find that interesting. But the two replacement possibilities who they're looking at are both former Bearcats players. Eric Martin, who's a uh, an assistant for WVU. Don't really care about that one. But this one I thought was cool. Kind of blast from the past. Nick Van Exel, uh, former NBA player. Spent some time with the Lakers, probably some other teams. Uh, so hearing that name was just kind of interesting. I thought that I would throw that in there. But, again, we'll revisit this one when uh, when the truth or the true facts come to light, as John Brandon put it. So we'll get back to that one. This is a subject here I could probably do an entire segment on. My heart really does go out to the Pirates faithful. The Pittsburgh Pirates franchise has just been a mess for quite some time. And their, their fans, a lot of them who I know are, and, and they're really good fans. They care about the team. It's just frustrating to them. But they continue to watch them and support them. And I can appreciate that being a Buffalo fan, having done that for, you know, my whole life. They're their glory days were when I was a kid, so it's not a whole lot that I remember in, in my adult life. I mean, that this past year was the first playoff win in my adult life. So I can feel for Pirates fans. I know what they're going through. Uh, their front office is just a shit show. And the reason this is being brought up is because of what just happened this past weekend. Joe Musgrove, actually, it might have been Thursday. I said this past weekend. It was Sometime this past week, Joe Musgrove, now pitching for the Padres, throws a no-hitter, the first no-hitter in San Diego Padres history. He grew up a Padres fan. But this is a guy who just got traded from the Pirates. Uh, he arrived in Pittsburgh via the Garrett Cole trade with the Houston Astros. Uh, he actually was a, an effective pitcher for the Astros prior to that trade. He wasn't their best, clearly, but... He he did get some innings in you know the playoffs in 2017 World Series run and played a key role. So uh, you know the Pirates were getting a good player. He didn't have much success there, but young. It's kind of a guy you you'd think they would have kept around. They don't. They unload him uh, when they trade him to San Diego. They receive none of the top prospects in return. So the list just grows of. Pirates players who are having success in other places. Garrett Cole, Austin Meadows, and Tyler Glass now with, with the Rays. Charlie Morton, Matt Joyce, J.A. Happ. So I had to look into it a little bit because 
I, I wanted to see what the compiled list looks like. And there's tons of articles about this. There's uh, one article who they put together a team. Uh, you know, this could be our team. And, and they listed all these players who are good, who aren't on the Pirates anymore. If they had them all, they would, you know, compete. But two I found interesting, I had no idea ever played for the Pirates, was Raji Davis and Jose Batista. I had no clue that those guys were ever Pirates. Of course, it was, I believe, you know, early, mid-2000s. I just never, never realized that, that those two guys are two other players who are now, well, previously or, you know, had success with other teams. So the last time the Pirates were in the playoffs, 2015, Last season, the shortened season, they won 19 of their 60. Off to a rough start this year. It's What's it going to take? I mean, they need – they change coaches. They change general managers. The one thing that hasn't changed is the, the constant is ownership. And my opinion, that's where, that's where it all, you know, trickles down from there. So it's sad, but – because that's not something they can just, you know, change on their own as an organization. It's a guy who would have to up and sell a team. But I just feel for them. The city of Pittsburgh, they're passionate about their, you know, their Steelers, their Pirates, their Penguins. And it's just a shame that this is the product they have to watch every year. Like I said, I have a lot of people very close to me who love the Pirates family my my mom is a huge pirates fan i remember when the pirates were on their brief stint of success and she bought a zoltan shirt the little z that they made from the bases when they when they reached base on a hit or walk or whatever and then you know it wasn't long after that they quit doing that and she was pissed off she spent the money on a t-shirt but she still watches them i mean i give her credit you know i my in-laws side of the family they're all pittsburgh everything huge pirates fans it's but at the same time you know i feel bad for them for having to watch this product but then you look at the other side of it they also get to watch the steelers who are consistently good the penguins who are consistently good you know they've all both of those teams have, have brought championships to pittsburgh in the last 15 20 years whatever it might be so I still don't think they deserve the Pirates to be this bad, but at the same time, they have been spoiled in, in uh, other sports. So, All right, last thing here, uh, not sports-related, but I kind of figured the age range of the people who are listening to me put out these shows every week probably appreciate this. Earl Simmons passes away at 50 years old, better known to the music industry as DMX. Passed away in a hospital in White Plains, New York. After he was taken to the hospital on April 2nd, after what they, what they called catastrophic cardiac arrest. Earl was a warrior who fought till the end, his family said in a statement that they released this past Friday. Uh, they added that his music inspired countless fans across the world and his iconic legacy will live on forever. An autopsy will be done to confirm the cause of this death, which is, I think is great. And it, I hope it gets released to the public because immediately there was rumors swirling, which have been denied by family and attorneys 
about drug overdoses. Now I'm seeing COVID shots or, you know, the COVID vaccine. There's just all these rumors going around. Just, I don't know why people got to, well, I do. It's because they, they just feel the need, but speculation on stuff like this, it's just so stupid. Just wait, just wait. And it's going to come out. The truth will be revealed. So why not wait? When you start saying, well, it was probably this, or I think it's this, but you don't know. So just shut up and wait. It's the logical thing to do. I was always a fan of DMX. Uh, you know, that was music. A lot of a lot of good workouts were had with DMX in my headphones. I listened to him as a little tribute the other night as I was patrolling on Midnight Shift. I shared a photo of that on uh, the Facebook page there. So it's a bummer. You know, he he put out some good tunes. Clearly, you know, hasn't been producing a whole lot of as of late, but it's usually what happens when guys like him get to this point in their career. It's just tour and play what you had. And so sad story. That's why it's in the things that sting. Shitty stories. Supposed to be sports stories. Made an exception here. DMX, rest in peace. We're going to take a break. Be right back. Joe's very own world of sports. All right, everybody, welcome back to my hive. You may have noticed uh, the voiceover leading into this segment has changed. There's a reason for that. I don't want to, I, I did a lot of thinking about it. I didn't want this segment to be locked into Buffalo Bills and Houston Astros. There will be talk of them. I'm going to talk a lot about them. But there's a bunch of different topics I want to cover. I like the opening to be kind of current. What's what's recently happened in sports. My hive, I just want it to be my, my own shit. What I want to talk about. So, earlier in the episode, I talked about how I somewhat loathe the NBA as it currently is. So I wanted to dive into that. I kind of wanted to figure out why, why I feel that way. But what we're going to get into, how I'm, how I'm going to start that off, is first how this show got its name, The Beehive. And it'll all tie together, I promise you. Just stick with me for a minute. So when I moved to Warren, one thing about Warren that always has bothered me 
is that there is not a like true legitimate sports bar in this town. One of my favorite things to do, I guess more in my 20s than probably now, but on NFL Sundays, head out early, sit at the bar, set your fantasy lineups, watch the 1 o'clock games, watch the 4 o'clock games, whatever, however long you want to make a day of it. Typically, it was a shift. I was there usually till the end of the 8 o'clock game, depending on who I was with and where I went. But in Warren, there's really nowhere to to go where you can go into a bar and there's seven, eight TVs that have all the games playing, you know, Dolphins fans are crowded around this table. You got, you know, your local teams crowded around their TV. You have the random Raiders or Vikings or whoever bears, you know, fan sitting off watching his team play. That just doesn't happen here. I mean, uh, sure. We could say, yeah, it's not a, area that's diverse enough with you know several fans from several teams I, i'd argue that though i kind of pride myself on i remember people like one thing i will remember about just about everybody i meet is who their favorite nfl team is i don't know why but just about everybody i know i could tell you who their who their favorite nfl team is anyways in erie you know i had kind of rotated around, but I would say I pretty much spent my Sundays at rack and roll. That's where, you know, they had the multiple TVs or every game was on coaches, same way. Depending on what was going on, sometimes me and my old roommate would head across the street to the Sunflower Club, watch the games there. So you had the ability to do that at multiple places. Well, here you didn't. You don't. Nowhere to go to watch multiple games except for, you know, maybe the game that's aired on Fox, the game that's aired on CBS. But nobody that I know of with NFL ticket that has enough TVs to support an entire schedule of 1 o'clock games or 4 o'clock games, whatever it might be. So when I bought my house, I was given permission to build my own little sports bar, and I did so. Three TVs, NFL ticket. I don't get to watch, you know, the full slate, but I can pick and choose. You know, the Bills will get the main TV. Up until of recent, they were primarily a 1 o'clock on Sunday team. Now they're starting to see more primetime games because they're good, but they weren't. So it was always standard, 1 o'clock. So, you know, bets or fantasy lineups, whatever, you can... I have two other options to watch two other TVs at the same time. The name... I can't really remember exactly, but I think Joe Sperveri is the one who came up with the name for the Beehive being the name of my own little sports bar that I have. So that's where I record. It's where I'm at right now. So Beehive Sports Podcast. It just made sense. So down here, it's it's kind of grown. I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of Bill's memorabilia, a lot of Astros memorabilia, but I have some random shit. I got an old Tampa Bay, the creamsicle helmet, mini helmet. Got some Pirates stuff, uh, some pennants from some old teams, the Milwaukee Braves and Indians pennant. And, you know, there's a lot of shit down here, but two items that recently made their way into the man cave was that it took place on a day. I was, I was up at Walmart for something. I'm walking around and I see in the electronics section, uh, 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game, like the actual boxed tall arcade game. So I look at it and I, I see they have some other stuff too, one of which was Golden Tee. I mean, I have people over quite a bit, especially during NFL. So I was like, wow, that'd be great to have down there because everybody I know golfs, you know, you can, it's multiplayer game. So I get Golden Tee. It has the little white rollerball on it. So I buy it. Turns out, you know, to be a hit down here, it's used a lot. And so I was pretty happy with that. But then I started looking into this company who who made this, who bought the rights to Golden Tee and sold, you know, this game. It's called Arcade One Up. So I started looking at what else they had. I mean, there's tons of them. Of course, they have like Pac-Man. You know, they have the old school games, uh, some Star Wars games. But there was one that caught my eye that I was like, that's next for sure. And it was NBA Jam. So these games, it's it's an arcade game, but like Golden Tee, for example, it comes with three or four versions of Golden Tee. It comes with Golden Tee Classic. And then I think like Golden Tee 2K, 99 and maybe 98. NBA Jam came with the original NBA Jam, NBA Jam Tournament Edition, and NBA Jam Hangtime. So it was next for sure. I had to buy it. And this, you know, takes me back to the sports history where I said, no matter what you, how much money you have, whatever you buy, your wife will probably not approve. I was pretty lucky. I didn't get too much shit for this, but she started asking, you know, where are you going to put these things? I found space. And I may not be done. I recently was looking their website because they are constantly buying rights for games and producing new ones. And they now have Big Buck Hunter with the plastic guns and everything. It will be mine. Anyways, where I was going with the NBA Jam, which is where I, I wanted this all to lead to, was that I don't think they could make NBA Jam currently. Not putting any of the old players on the rosters. I'm saying starting fresh. Right now, three players from every team worthy enough of creating an NBA Jam 2021. The most recent addition that was made by NBA Jam was, or that was uh, an NBA Jam that was produced was 2011. The, it was called the NBA Jam on Fire Edition. So they did, they've been doing roster updates to that. I took a look at them to see, you know, who they added and how it went. And it's basically they're adding players as they go. And it's, it's kind of an, it's become like an all time team. It's not, you know, you look back at the originals, it was the players who were then they're adding players from the early two thousands. They're adding players from the late nineties who weren't on the game. So again, I don't think that that fits the criteria of, my point that they can't make it now. I think the NBA has gone downhill. When I was a kid, I loved it. Charlotte Hornets, that was my squad. Larry Johnson was my favorite player. I loved Muggsy Bogues, Alonzo Mourning, uh, even Del Curry, father of Steph, he was on that team. So I liked the Hornets. I grew out of it. I, you know, I never really followed them to begin with. I just liked them. It wasn't like in the early 90s or, or not early, but even mid, late 90s. You didn't have access to see how they were doing other than a newspaper. Couldn't see them on TV. They weren't local. 
So it was just something that kind of, you know, went away as I got older. But I still love Larry Johnson. He's my favorite player. Grandmama. But back then, my art, I would argue that every team had, I'll call it one and a half stars on their team. Maybe two, sometimes three. That's not the case now. I mean, the Golden State Warriors were horrific in the 90s, and they still sent two guys to Team USA. Chris Mullen, Tim Hardaway. Like, and they were bad. That team was bad, but they had two really good players. Now, I think that most all teams have one star. You look at the likes of Giannis, Luka, Jimmy Butler, uh, Devin Booker, Damon Lillard, Bradley Beal. Most teams have one really good player. But some of some teams have three or four really good players. And those are the teams that you can easily predict into the playoffs, towards the finals. You know, not a team like... I mean, the Phoenix Suns are playing pretty good, but is Devin Booker enough to carry them all the way through? I don't think so. Not when you have to run against LeBron James and Anthony Davis and, you know, whoever else is on that team at this point, Kyle Kuzma. So... Not even just the Lakers, though. You look at the Brooklyn Nets right now. James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Aldridge, Griffin, Blake Griffin's coming off the bench on that team. Now, granted, his body is probably about all it can withstand. Gets injured a lot. Limited minutes might, you know, prevent that a little bit. But that's an unbelievable team. Two of the best shooters in the game. Kyrie Irving's one of the best ball handlers in the game. You look back at the 90s, teams like, well, not even teams, but just specific players, your stars, you know, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, those guys, those guys didn't want to play on the same team. They wanted to beat each other. They wanted to be the best in order to, what do they say? In order to be the best, you have to beat the best. Now it's in order to be the best, you join up with the best and beat the shit out of everybody else. I'm just not a fan of the super teams. The The league is extremely uneven. Talent-wise. Your record's going to be a record. There's always going to be a team. I mean, what is it? T- Timberwolves are bad. They got Carl Anthony Towns. That's it. Ricky Rubio? I don't think so. That's not going to do it. Another thing I don't like is the ads on the jerseys. That's a a really petty reason not to like the league. Actually, that's not a reason I don't like the league. I just don't like that. I think it looks dumb. I don't want a Lakers jersey that says wish.com on the chest. Or StubHub. Whoever, you know, whoever they strike a deal with. The finances of it makes sense. It brings in like... Uh, what did I five to ten billion or something? I don't know, million somewhere in there. I guess that's a huge difference, but regardless, the point is it's it's bringing in revenue. But it reminds me of soccer, the soccer jerseys that look ridiculous with all the ads on them. There's no defense. The league has lacked defense. I mean, it, it, hand in the face, hands up, anything. 
It just doesn't really happen. You get players who do play good defense and they stand out. Everybody knows that that guy's a really good defensive player, but they're few and far between. Coaches don't matter anymore. They just essentially stand there. The players are making the calls. The players are being the GMs, recruiting, making things happen, flopping. That's another issue. It's gotten out of control. But you look back at the, I'm going to list some of the duos from, you know, the 90s era, which I still think best era in basketball. I already talked about Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning. Jordan and Pippen. Kemp and Peyton. Dominique Wilkins, Ogman. Mullen and Hardaway. The Admiral David Robinson, Sean Elliott. Olajuwon, Vernon Maxwell. Barkley and Marley, Stockton Malone, Reggie Miller, Rick Smiths. They, you could go on and on. You can't do that now. And I mean, these teams had enough, uh, at least a, I'm not going to call them a star, but a third player. They, they were able to create a video game off of it. Jordan wasn't even in that game. It was Coach Pippen, and Horace Grant. B.J. Armstrong, I think, maybe featured in one. Anyways, it just seemed like the talent was more evenly spread. Teams were still better than other teams. Whether that came down to a collaborative or an individual effort. But I just don't feel it's that way anymore. The, the talent is not evenly spread. It's pretty easy to predict who, who's going to be around, you know, when the finals come up or late in the playoffs. So I think that with EA or uh, with with NBA Jam, NBA Jam was originally produced by Midway, then was bought out by Acclaim, and most recently EA Sports. If EA Sports thought it was possible to make that game great, even though it's been rumored for two or three years now that they're going to do one, and maybe they will, but it seems like it's something they would have done by now. But who do you leave off of some of those other teams? The teams with three, four, five really, really, really good players. So, I mean, I suppose they could make five-man rosters, but then that's going to embarrass the hell out of teams like Minnesota or Detroit. So, to wrap up, I mean, that's just my thought on it. I don't think it's possible for them to make that game and make it successful. And NBA Jam... It's one of the most successful sports games of all time. One of the most loved sports games of all time. So to wrap up, like I said, maybe they'll prove me wrong. That'll be up to EA Sports. We all know that they're bringing back uh, NCAA football, which means that could be putting NBA Jam on the back burner because that, that game was overly missed by the sports world of people who played it. All right. That's going to do it. I'm going to take a break. Be right back. All 
All right, everyone, that'll do it for episode four of the Beehive Sports Podcast. Again, I just want to thank everybody who uh, has listened, been listening. Uh, be sure to check out the Facebook page, like, share, follow, engage. I'd love to hear some of your opinions. I'll definitely respond. Uh, I'd like to hear what some of you guys think about Pete Rose, Hall of Fame saga, as well as uh, your thoughts on a potential NBA Jam reboot. So another thing I just wanted to add was that I do have uh, four about four guests confirmed for future inter- phone interviews or in-person interviews, depending on uh, where they're at and stuff like that. Things from uh, people with job titles, from a head groundskeeper to, for a minor league baseball team to the chief marketing officer of the Chattanooga Football Club. So lots of different things, lots of different aspects. So stick around, and uh, we'll see you next time.